Hello, and welcome to another installment of Booklist's Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where we get to talk with authors and artists about their books and, of course, libraries. I'm Sarah Hunter, editor of the Books for Youth and Graphic Novels sections at Booklist, and I'm here today with Paul Gilligan, creator of the hilarious series opener Pluto Rocket New in Town, which came out this winter. Volume 2 will be out this fall. Special thanks to Penguin Random House Canada for sponsoring this podcast. Before we get to the questions, let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. Paul Gilligan writes and draws the syndicated comic strip Pooch Cafe with Andrews McNeil, which runs in over 250 newspapers around the world and has been twice nominated by the National Cartoonist Society for Best Strip. In addition to being the author-illustrator of Pluto Rocket, he works in animation and has shows in development with Guru Animation and the Cartoon Network. Paul is based in Toronto, Ontario. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Oh, hi. Uh, thanks so much for having me on your show. Great. So tell us a little bit about Pluto Rocket. Pluto Rocket is a humorous, early reader graphic novel about a little female alien who's on a secret mission to find out what life is really like here on Earth. Fortunately for her, the first inhabitant she meets is a fast-talking pigeon named Joe Pitch, who, in his own words, has seen it all before, eaten it all before, and pooped on it all before. He takes uh, Pluto under his wing and shows her around the neighborhood where to see the best stuff, where to get the best taco. But he's a lot bolder and louder than is good for keeping a mission secret. So he's uh, a little too full of himself for his own good. And therefore, he ends up learning as much from Pluto Rocket as she does from him. Excellent. And there are some really great hats, too. I like the part with the hats. <laughs> Lots of hats. <laughs> So I realized that humor is one of the most difficult things to talk about, but what's your approach to writing comedy specifically for kids? I think the number one thing I try to keep in mind when writing for kids is to not try to write for kids. Mm-hmm. I think like, like coming up with community situations and jokes, I, I just do it the same way as I do it for my comic strip, which cafe, mm-hmm. uh, or I would for writing any comedy. But obviously certain themes might need to be curbed for a younger audience, but otherwise... I would try to write material. I'd rather write material that perhaps some kids have to think about a bit more to get rather than try to talk down to a perceived lower level. Like kids are smart, as we all know, and they're always making me laugh. So I, I like, I think kids get a lot more complex humor than you get credit for. So I try, I mean, that's kind of go for that. But and then, at, of course, at the same time, I never value a good fall in the mud or poop joke. <laughs> everybody likes those <laughs> they sure do i have a three-year-old and i'm like in the thick of it right now <laughs> yeah it's it's never it's funny every time for them it's like they just heard it for the first time it's anything so tell me a little bit about what inspires your visual style my visual style is steeped in an event that happened when i was about uh nine or ten years I found a Hulk comic and it kicked off a pretty intense superhero phase, which lasted about 10 years before I ended up uh, going to college and discovered that there's other styles of art that don't include spandex and energy balls. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, my superhero immersion, I think, is still pretty evident in most of my cartoonating. You know, I, I like <laughs> do a lot of dynamic poses and extreme angles. So, uh, it may not be immediately obvious that I do that I'm like influenced by superhero comics, but once I've said that and you look, I think you'll see it. It's it's really a big part of the way I draw. 
Yeah, that I mean, that comes as a surprise to me just because like if you just like you said, if if you look very briefly at it, you've got a lot of like blocky characters, not something I would typically see in a superhero comic. I'm imagining Joe Pidge standing like looking sternly out of one eye, but in a kind of comedic and cartoonish way. And yeah. that definitely feels like a superhero pose to me. Right, right. I just I also like really extreme reactions to things. Yeah. No, there's nothing more fun to draw than a character who's like having a really huge reaction to something or you know, stretch his face out to depict like maximum horror or surprise <laughs> or outrage. It's it's the most fun thing to do. And it's uh, you know, you can put like the superhero line uh, stop comic style lines behind it where like energy shooting out of it and you know or or a dynamic uh, lower angle to go with it and, yeah. and that's that's stuff that's all taken from me like reading thousands of hours of marvel comics <laughs> cool. so i'd like to have a little bit about structure of your comic so you draw a comic strip and i'm wondering how that experience uh shapes how you approach writing longer comics well, I was reading comic strips. I always loved the ones that had ongoing storylines. I remember like waiting with such anticipation to see what Opus the Penguin's nose job was coming to look like. And there, <laughs> he got one and they kept covering it up strip after strip for for like a week. Or Calvin, I remember Calvin once ordered a propeller beanie and he was like so filled with anticipation for it to arrive because he thought he, he could fly around with it. <laughs> Those those storylines, like I still remember, and and still like think about how I couldn't wait to get to the next installment. So I do that with Pooch Cafe. I have storylines that last weeks, and Good. in fact, I had one storyline about Poncho's puppyhood that lasted for over a year. Um, so by comparison, the Pluto Rocket graphic novels seem pretty short. That's fascinating. See, I thought you were going to talk about like like how the tight structure forces you to to complete a, a moment in a short period of time. I yeah. did not expect you to talk about ongoing stories in <laughs> comic strips. That's really funny. But do you think that it's like you, you have, you're, you're telling a story bit by bit and like those little bits sort of have to stand on their own. Do you, do you think about that when you're writing Pluto rocket too? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess to go back to what you expected, like my, my answer would be more about, yeah, I do have to, be very succinct with that little mini narrative and that get three or four panel increment. And so it's kind of like a balancing act where you're trying to tell a longer story, but also still making that one small increment satisfying on its own. So yeah, throughout Pluto Rocket, of course, there's like little mini moments mm-hmm. that you could just cut it here and here. And that's, that's a sweet little part or funny part on its own. But the true fun for me is uh, strategizing how to make it longer <laughs> at the same time. So you can pay offs. Like it's, it's so good for me, and I hope it's good for, for readers. When I drop something earlier on, and then I pay it off later, and not <laughs> everyone maybe will remember it, but the ones that do will get like a real kick out of that. <laughs> So what are the comics that made you love comics and want to make them yourself? Well, the, the early newspaper comics page was the shining beacon of my day every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we didn't have as much access to, to cartoons as we do now, but I digest every panel, every strip, uh, even the 
boring grown up. Mary Worth. Like Mary Worth. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the one you're always thinking of. It's like, I didn't know what she was talking about most of the time, but I still read every word. I'd, I think I'd start with those ones that get them out of the way, but I'm saving ones I liked more than yet, but I, I would read everything. And, uh, and of course, Charles Schultz's Peanuts collections. Remember they had them in like, they were collected in books that were the shapes of novels. Mm-hmm. They were just like really small mm-hmm. and uh, there was like tons of them everywhere. I used to find them in, in bins for 10 cents. Mm-hmm. And I would eat those up like, well, like they were actual peanuts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, later, I mean, like the big three, Jerry Larson's Farside, Progressive. Mm-hmm. County and Morrison's Color Hobbs, those ones influenced everybody who's in comics, whether they know it or not, because they influenced everybody else. Those are the ones I read in my teenage years that made me dream of doing a comic strip. When I started doing this work, I had been reading graphic novels for a while before I started editing the graphic novel section and like really loved them. I didn't realize until a few years into it how much my like adoration of newspaper comic strips was like in the background of all of that for me and yeah. in the background for like everybody else who I was reading and loving at the same time. And in talking to cartoonists now that I hear so many people say like, oh, I just love reading the comic strips in the papers. I loved reading Farside. I loved reading Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes and all of those things. And it's like really validating to think about how that like seemingly throwaway experience of reading the the funnies in the paper is right. just so deeply influential for so many people who are doing things that I love right now. It's great. Right. right. My one wish was that you hadn't uh, had to put a past tense on, on love it, slash love there because uh, it's true. Like we all, everybody used to read the comics page. Even if you didn't think you read it, you're, everybody knew about it. Like there mm-hmm. wasn't a person on the street that didn't know Hagar the Horrible and Blondie and High and Lois. Like they were just household names and now the, the most popular strips that came out in the last 10 20 years very few people i think know them by comparison yeah i think that's true they're sort of harder to come by now but i will say that i have had more exposure to comics like that on like instagram in the past several years than i have in a long time like there's the new iteration of nancy that's coming out that is really right? funny that's great. Yeah that's, yeah, that's incredible. And I mostly see it on Instagram instead of in the paper. And I, I like running into it sort of by accident, but it would be nice if I could see it every day again, just <laughs> yeah, like yeah. on purpose. That's <laughs> the trade-off, I guess, is that now you don't have to be a syndicated comic strip artist in order mm-hmm. to get a wide audience. So that's that's the plus, right? Like everybody who wants to do a comic strip can do on a grid online. And some of them are huge. Some of them are bigger yeah. than anything that's in the papers right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sidebar over. Thank you for indulging me on that one. <laughs> and my last question here. Um, okay. Imagine your book is on a library display. Uh, what <laughs> books would you like to see there with it? Let's go for like three to five books together with your book. If that's okay. possible. Well, my favorite, I would say my favorite book of all time that was so inspirational for me is called, it's a very obscure book. It's called The Little Captain by <laughs> an author named Paul Beagle. And I read that when I was a kid. And I loved it so much that I didn't want it to end. So I read like smaller and smaller amounts of it as each 
finish each day as the end <laughs> approach. And I never finished it. It's still on my shelf. <laughs> but um, I, I, I cherish that book. Uh, so to see it next to mine, although it, it's not a graphic novel, so it probably wouldn't be at the same section as, as mine. That's but, okay. Uh, I'll tell you uh, of early graphic novels, some that I like, I, I really like Catwad. Jane Benton is a, a huge uh, hero of mine. I think his work is amazing. And I love the Mr. Wolf series. I never say anything like that one. It felt like it was so real and 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 different. It wasn't like jokey, but it was like warm and 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 still funny and, and well drawn. Do you um, mean Mr. Wolf's class? Mr. Wolf's oh. Mr. Wolf's class. Mr. Oh Wolf's yeah, yeah, class. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's about four of them, I think. Mm-hmm. And Dogman is like you know, it's that's a more obvious choice, but my kids love it. My I enjoy it uh, mm-hmm. just much. And as I'm thinking, I, sh- I should probably pick books that kids don't like as much so that mine looks more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> That's strategic. Nobody has ever yeah. taken that approach with this question before. Those are terrible choices. <laughs> I think I should have my book next to some books on how to cook broccoli. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> <my new> <laughs> okay, well, that is about all the time we have for today. Thank you again, Paul, for joining us. And thanks to Penguin Random House Canada for making this podcast possible. Hope you have something excellent to read next. Yeah.